0: Thank you, brother. Well, it's fun to be back. I've, we've been on vacation for the last couple of weeks. We did a staycation. You guys ever do a staycation? Never done one of these. One person has done a staycation this entire... Okay, I'm just making sure. Um, it's, you go on vacation, but you stay at home. It's a little awkward at first. My wife wanted to clean the house for a couple of weeks, and we had to recalibrate a little bit. You go to the beach, all you do is lay there all day, and you do nothing. At home, I had to get a different game plan. We went to... Wendy's parents this past week, and we were in a house with, let's see, 369, I guess about 10 kids, and I just said, you know what, I can't, I just realized this is live stream, my mother-in-law might be watching right now, I just had a quick pause there, I can't sit in the house for a week it's hotter than Beirut outside um, I started googling things to do Where's this is South Georgia Tifton Georgia It's not the end of the world but you can see it from there and it you know the type of hot where it, it comes off the pavement you could put an egg down eat it right off the driveway um, we decided to go to a theme park in Valdosta Georgia for two straight days I'm gonna be writing a book about our experience there uh, <laughs> called Wild Adventures. You know, typically you think Disney, uh, Busch Gardens, Carowind, Six Flags. Those are about right here. Think Wild Adventures. Think uh, two llamas right before you walk in, 101 degrees, enough gnats to kill a four-year-old. You pay $50 a person to get in and you stay there from 8 a.m. to 9 at night. I've never been more excited to get back to Bridgeway in my lifetime. You know, it does fly by though. Uh, last night I was cleaning out some pictures on my phone and I saw a picture of me and Ruthie. I was hugging her goodbye. She was two years old. I was going to speak somewhere and now she's, she's 28 years old over here. <laughs> and uh, you know, I will say before I jump in to this sermon for a few hours, I will say this is uh, if you're not careful in prophetic cultures, there's so much focus on the future that you're not in the present. Every once in a while, just stop, smell the roses. You know, some charismatics are more spiritual than God is. You know what some people need to do today? I'm not kidding. You need to go home and watch the British Open. I'm serious. Uh, The next service, I'm going to speed that sermon right up because they tee off at like 3 a.m. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. I just think a lot of us take ourselves way too seriously. Do you know that the more I'm relaxing in him and enjoying my life and enjoying my family, I'm growing in the prophetic like I never have in my life. I'm trying the least and growing the most. And I love the prophetic because it helps people connect with God. And the goal of my life is not to proclaim a message that people connect with. It's just to live my life in such a way that they want what I have. They want what you have. That's what I love about the prophetic is you just help people connect with God. There's a couple of questions we need to be asking at all times. Am I getting closer to friendship with the Father and who am I bringing with me? If you can say yes to both those questions, you'll win big in the kingdom. Has anyone, by the way, it, it rained at the water park the other day for three hours and I was not about to sit in this pizza parlor for three hours. It wasn't going to happen. And we went to see Cars 3. Has anyone seen Cars 3 yet? It is an amazing picture of the kingdom. It's all about mentoring. There is a blue race car called Igniter in the movie. How about them apples? Yeah. I think the older I get, the more I realize my destiny is not about me. It's about other people. And if what happens is we get so entitled, we think our destinies are by ourselves. You can even go after God for what's in it for you the highest form of friendship with the Father, you're always bringing someone with you. Jesus is the greatest leader in the history of the world, greatest person in the history of the world, and he always lived to lift other people up. He said something that's either true or just ridiculous, and I have to believe it's true. He looked at these guys and says, you'll do greater things than I've done. And they have to be thinking. Come on now, there's a little sarcasm in that. But he said it. Jim Collins in his epic book, Good to Great, says the greatest leaders in the world are always working themselves out of a job. A lot of people come to Bridgeway to get a a hit, if you will, spiritually, a pick-me-up, a higher form of friendship with God, is to come to Bridgeway to learn how to raise someone else up who's already in your life. I'll make you a promise, there's someone in your life right now that Jehovah Sneaky has snuck in there, that he's wanting you not to get a word from them, but to take about six months and raise them up. It's a lot easier to be a teacher than it is to be a father. And the great thing about being a spiritual father or mother, you can do that at age 10. It's, it's so interesting to me, living in this country, I'm so happy to be here. I'm a very proud American. I, I, I'm very thankful for this country. But in so many ways, we think opposite of the kingdom. And the greatest strength in American history is we pioneered. I mean, we've grown more in a few hundred years than other countries have in a long time. The greatest weakness in that is we come, we become so individualistic that we even say, "Well, me and God, me and God, me and God." The salvific story of God was never me and God. It was it was never this individualistic thing. Jews were always communal. Matter of fact, God's people are always uh, nomadic, traveled together, and grew together. And you know something really powerful happens when you don't blame anyone else for why you don't have community. A lot of fathers don't even have community in their own family because they bring so much insecurity to the table. They think their children are there to lift them up. You're there to raise your children up. And I actually frustrate a lot of people here at Bridgeway at times because I don't preach here as much as other pastors typically preach. And it's because one of the things that God has shown me, the goal of my life is to raise up. Leaders. I, um, I did a lot of exercise over the past couple of weeks. I took a lot of walks. And when you walk for a long amount of time, after about 30 minutes, you can talk to God about everything. And I just started asking a bunch of questions. First question I said, please don't let me die in this heat. <laughs> I did see two hobbits pass me with a ring looking for fire somewhere down there. <laughs> I'm serious. And it's so hot you get like chills. South Georgia. Praise God that gnats aren't up here. There's a gnat line in Macon, Georgia. They don't pass. I don't know what it is. God put a barrier there. Has anyone been around gnats? No, I don't mean flies. I'm talking about gnats. Anyway. Um, And I said, Father, I'm going to ask you a question. And sometimes it's, it's, you ever just get overwhelmed? You talk to God, the one who made everything. He can be so big that he knows every person in the world and so small he can talk to you. And I said, why am I here? Why am I on this earth? I'm always asking him questions. I'm very curious about God. He said, I put you here to raise generals. And I thought that through. He didn't say raise leaders. He told me in Chicago two years ago, I'm going to start bringing five stars to you. Everybody loves to talk about the uh, ideology of Jesus, which obviously... Of course, there's a reason for that. And we talk about theology of Jesus. But very few people really take the methodology of Jesus very seriously. What did he do and how did he do it while he was here? He invested in Peter, James, and John more than he did the other nine. That would really go over well if Jesus pastored an American church. You'd always be asking, where is the Lord? 18 months of his ministry out of 36, he was not doing public ministry. What was he doing for those 18 months? Jesus Christ changed the world by raising three men, honestly. Three. I promise you, as God is my witness, I did not have this in my mind when I came up here, but I challenge you. A lot of people come to me and they say, well, how do I know if I'm saved? Here's a great question. Here's a great question to that question. Are you raising up anyone in your life? What if we answered the question, how do you know if you're saved, whether or not you're making disciples and raising other people up? Man, that makes everybody nervous. Because what we want to do is to put a phenomenal communicator in a place and just come and continue to to feed and feast and eat. God's actually trying to grow all of us. The way you grow is to lead. If you want to build deep friendship with the Father, ask him to identify someone in your life right now you need to be raising up. Most people are so insecure they say, well, I'm not ready for that yet. And you do that until you're about 90 and then you die. You can raise someone up when you're 10. Where's Shelly Thompson? Is she downstairs? No, she's right there. How long have you been working in children's ministry here? Since the sixth grade. You're going into the ninth grade? So I went to University of Georgia. Hang on a second. Sixth, seventh, eighth. You're going on your fourth year of making disciples down there. That's awesome. That's awesome. An indicator. Yeah, give her a hand. That's awesome. <laughs> There's nothing more rewarding and by the way, this is the movie Cars Three. Lightning McQueen thinks it's all about him. And then he realizes and by the way I love this, this young lady who's his trainer, she's a car, can't remember her name right now. Huh? Yeah, Bruce. Not Bruce. Cruz? Cruise? Cruz. Yes. Lightning McQueen. That'd be odd if her name was Bruce. Um, <laughs> Lightning McQueen realizes at the end of the movie that the whole point of his life was not all the trophies that he won, it was about raising this young lady up to go and beat this evil guy that was real arrogant and obnoxious and Lightning McQueen finds more joy in being a mentor than he did running his own races when you get to heaven you're going to meet someone his name is Father his name is Father what do fathers do? They raise up sons and daughters. And see, what Bridgeway is turning into is not to be a a charismatic place where you can come and taste the things of the Holy Spirit, but to be equipped to be a father and a mother. Because that's when the message and the methodology of your life outlives itself. Because it wasn't the Holy Ghost you found. It was the Holy Ghost found you, got inside of you, and then started using you to multiply people the way that he did Jesus. What's the first thing Jesus did when he began his ministry? He prayed all night long and found 12 people. He found a family. You see, there's a difference though in finding a family and finding community. A lot of times people seeking community are offended with other people and they find like-minded people and it becomes a group of disunified people. They complain about a lot of stuff. A lot of communities are very disunified. A lot of families, though, they have a leader or a couple of leaders and they raise up the next generation and then that happens and then that happens. I'm excited to see where our student ministry is going to be in six years, not out of competency, out of seed time harvest. Because when you have Joseph over youth and you have Jessica over children, watch what happens when we create this multiplication system where it just becomes common for Shelley Thompson's over the world to start raising up the next generation. But in the American society, what we do is we isolate ourselves and I'm just going to go after God. I'm going to go after God. Well, you got to understand the paradigm from Genesis to Revelation. You go after God in the context of family. Second word of the Lord's prayer is Father. Our Father, which art in heaven. This is what Jesus said, and I'll finish my little mini-sermon after this. One of the last words out of his mouth is, go and make mafetis. Greek word for disciples, go and make learners of me. So the goal of your life is not just to go on a search for God, but it's to go on a search for God and always be scanning who you can bring along with you. That's a good sermon. I'm t- I just bless myself. All right. All right, let's jump right in. I'm going to pass that Romans passage, and let's go straight to Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. I sat this week, and because uh, I'm about to... Speak on the prodigal son, which I actually call, I don't call it the prodigal son. I call it the forgiving father. It's a story that Jesus told, and I don't think I've ever preached on it, which seems bizarre that you would not preach on the prodigal son story over 20 years of ministry. I don't think I have. Uh, On staycation for two weeks, I only had one encounter with God, and it was last Wednesday night at about one nineteen in the morning. I want to read you this dream that I had. I'm going to read half of it. At one one nineteen in the morning, my eyes pop open. I'm in Tifton, Georgia, and from one nineteen to four thirty a.m., I was up with the Father. Now I wish I could tell you that I do that every week, and I, I, I don't. Maybe once a year, maybe max. And uh, I've always wondered why does He wake us up in the middle of the night? Why not just wait till the morning? I don't know. I have no idea. Um, but I woke up at one nineteen and I went and sat down with Him. And um, this is what I started talking to him about. Let me find it here. And then I had two dreams about Bridgeway. I want to read you one of them. Let me find this. In, in my dream, there it is, I called it Wild Night. Um, I just prayed this prayer from the bottom of my heart. I said, Father, I want to see you. I said, I know you hear me. I love you so much and thank you for your forgiveness and compassion over me and all of us. I'm asking you to strike me with love lightning. Please put your heart inside of my chest. I want to be like you. And I know that's it's a scary prayer. I said, I want to be like you. Jesus, thank you for showing me who the Father is. Sincerely, I always knew you died for me, but I did not know the Father. You're amazing. Let the enemy know I'm coming for him. I'm going to lead generals to help people know you three. Holy Spirit, consume me. Make me the target of your revelation. I love you. I am begging for this. I also preached to never beg, and I did, though. I begged for it. Um, Then I went to bed at 4.30 a.m., and I had a couple of dreams, and this was one of them. In the dream, I was walking into Bridgeway, but it wasn't this building. And I was talking to another employee outside, and we were talking about some stuff. And I knew I was walking in, and there were supposed to be 300 people at Bridgeway to pray for an outpouring of the Father. And when I walked in, there was about 3,000 people in the room. And it was double-decker. And it was brand new. It wasn't this room. And when I walked in, let me just read it how I wrote it down. Um, I was expecting a few hundred people because it was service simply to pray for God to move. I walked into the room. At least 3,000 people were there. Double-decker auditorium. I take the microphone. I begin to pray for a mighty move of the Father. And the building starts to shake and the speakers start falling from the ceiling. I keep praying in my dream, come with the tender violence, come with the tender violence. People started running for their lives. It was unreal, and I saw in flashing lights, Acts 2, Acts 2. I do believe that the Father's intention for Bridgeway is a little different from the norm. We do love to help people grow here, but what's starting to happen is a corporate hunger is getting to the place where it's tugging on heaven very, very hard, and... Have you ever stopped to ask yourself the question, what is it like on the Father's end for a group of people, for a church specifically, for this church, for Bridgeway, to to want him so badly? Do you know that hunger is just very underrated? Before I fell asleep, I said, I'm asking you to strike me with your lightning, love lightning. And in the dream, I kept hearing these two words, tender violence, tender violence, tender violence, tender violence. And so I want to preach through these passages today, and I do want to declare that I do believe that this this thing that is brewing here and what God wants to do here at Bridgeway has really only one message in the middle of this dark glory cloud, and that is the ridiculous love of the Father, the unfair love of the Father. I can't tell you how many times I've read this passage, and I've never seen two of the things that he's shown me in this. Oh, yeah, by the way, the next morning when I woke up, I had a, an hour conversation with Leif Hetland. And I have not talked to Leif in a while. And Leif said that uh, he prophesied over me. He said, upon Bridgeway right now in, in you is a spirit of wisdom and revelation. I've actually been teaching on that. And I've been saying that that's what this house is stepping into. And I do believe, I don't know where Lindsay is. I think Lindsay even mentioned that this morning from, uh, did you, didn't you say that from stage this morning? Okay, so let's go to Luke 15. There's nothing better in Revelation. Because at the end of the day, do you honestly care more about your business growing than you do connecting with the God of the universe? There's going to come a day your business is not going to be here anymore. Either you're going before your spouse, your spouse is going before you, you're, it's going to be the end of your life. I mean, when you get eternity in your mind and you think from eternity while you're still on the earth, a, the Revelation opens up to us. This is what Paul talks about when he says we have the mind of Christ. You know what's interesting? He told John... The Revelator, he said, Come up here and I will show you these things. So there's a paradox. We are seated in heavenly places, but he also says, Come up here. Think about that. Because you, you, you positionally are so righteous, you're seated in Christ right now, but most people think they keep their thoughts on the earth. Let me go slow here because this is. Yes, you're seated in Christ, but you have to go up there in your thinking. Most people live here thinking about going up there. You can actually live from up there while you're here. Major difference. That's why G- uh, Jesus said to John, "Come on, come up here." I was in my office <laughs> 15 years ago and uh I was with another person and we were praying. I said, you want to go into the throne room? And this person looked at me like, what do you mean? And I was like, you want to go into the throne room? And I said, Father, we just come into your throne room. (laughs) And this person got chunked from the chair. This is not, this isn't a joke. This isn't some new agey thing. This is literal There is a literal throne room. There is a literal realm of heaven. But here's the deal. Even though you're positionally seated in Christ, most people stay down here their whole lives. I don't want to stay down here anymore. I don't want to go to heaven when I die. I want to live there now, from there. All all it takes is a slight shift of thinking, and the prophetic explodes in one moment. Because when I get prophetic words for people, it doesn't take me five minutes to get up there. I'm already there. I have trained myself... I got a word of knowledge over a golfer yesterday on a golf tournament that I'll probably never meet. Looked it up, and it was true. Ah. All right. (laughs) Luke 15. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. Now, a lot of people, just a reminder, this is a story. You know that the Bible is 95% narrative? God wants us to connect with stories. That's why we need to tell our stories and listen to other people's stories, because you find God in the middle of the story. A lot of people treat God like he's a VCR manual dictator type writer. Like if you sit down to read the VCR, of course, do we have VCRs anymore, DVD, manual? Something's wrong with you. Typically, people don't do that. We love stories in the beginning. It's just a story. He says, once upon a time, there was a man that had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Okay, I I took some notes on this. Holy Spirit, I pray you would give us revelation on this today. All right. I am a nice person. I throw me in the mix here, but I am going to be hard on us for a second because I like truth, not just grace. I like both. Um, There is a huge difference in being in the born-again camp and being in the kingdom camp. I've been saying that recently. In the born-again camp, you have your own thoughts and you go to the Father to ask for your inheritance or whatever it is and you have your own plans and you have your own dreams and you ask God to bless them. The scary thing is, in that camp, he will quickly do that. The Father will let you walk to your own demise and not stop you. C.S. Lewis says that God really values uh, free will. That's the biggest understatement ever. Uh, The way that the Lord tells this story... The younger one said to the father, hey, give me my inheritance. And immediately the father says, uh, okay, he divides his property between them. Off you go. It's really, really scary to be in the born born again camp and never cross the kingdom camp. And here's why. In the kingdom camp, you would never go to the father to ask for your inheritance. The kingdom camp, what you say is, father, my life is yours. What is thy will for me? Huge difference. There's two ways to live my life put my hand to something and ask the father to bless it or ask the father where to put my hand? That's good. Thank you. Thank you. Honestly, seriously, here's the deal though. 90% 95% of people. Why is the father not blessing what my hands on? And some angel, some JV angel, not even on the, on the food chain says, because he didn't tell you to put your hand on that. A lot of people say, why are you talk about death so much at Bridgeway? Because death is saying, Father, what, what are you, what's your will for me? What do you want from me? I don't have any rights. I'm a doulos. I'm a love slave. You see this progression in Paul. He gets to the point, it doesn't really matter what's next. You know you're growing in God when you can sense transition in your life. You can feel it. You can see it. And you're more calm in that than you would be if you knew all the details. I wish I could play that piano. I would just play it right now. <laughs> let me tell you my notes here. The difference between born again versus kingdom. Kingdom, I never tell the Father what I need. Little is talked about the fact that the Father will let you walk into your own demise quickly. Kingdom ambassadors don't make decisions about what they think is the wise thing to do. They live their entire lives on Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. We say, never say never. Not true. Hang on. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and never lean on your own understanding. Who's ever said never say never? That is not true. God is a God of the extremes. Truth is found in the extremes. Watch this. In two verses, never lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, that's extreme, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. It, you would be better off to never get into the kingdom and surrender all your rights than to waffle. It's, don't do it. Oh. And then a lot of people who put their hands, a lot of people, oh man. Okay. I don't, I've never heard this preached before. When you walk in the kingdom and then you step out of the kingdom and start making your own decisions, you would have been better off never getting into the kingdom. I define the kingdom by you surrendering all your rights. Psalm twenty four one. Everything in the world is the Lord's and everything in it. The word Lord means owner. This guy wanted his money. And the father didn't try to give him wisdom to talk him out of it. Okay, here you go. Let's go to the next verse. Verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. Set off for a distant country. And there squandered his wealth and wild living. I noticed. uh, Can we go back? I noticed there. He, um, the younger son got together all he had. A lot of times in stories, it's not just what people say in a story, it's what they don't say. The father didn't try to talk him out of it and didn't say, will not you just keep a little bit here because you may come back. The whole spew you out of my mouth thing, pick one way or the other. At least this guy just went for it. He went for it, and here's what happens. He squanders all his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there's that there's that extreme thing again. The Lord's swinging the pendulum here. There was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. Verse 17 is coming. I can't wait. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses... Okay. I'll never change in my life on anything. And by the way, we don't just change when we come to Christ. We're we're growing. Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I'll never have a breakthrough in any area of my life until I come to my senses. I can have a thousand people in a church come to senses for me until I come to my own senses. Change never happens. Um. I I promise you, I'm a nice person. I'm a teddy bear. A lot of people think because I'm passionate I'm not nice. I'm very nice. I'm just going to say it the way I wrote it. You will never change until you come to your senses. Most people blame a spouse, a parent, their past, a teacher, a friend. We truly get transformed when we take responsibility. Very few ever take responsibility. We church hop looking for a pastor and a staff who is a better fit for us. We skim through authors. We skim through speakers. But here's the problem. Wherever you go, there you are. Do you want to get well? Then take full responsibility, Chad. What I notice as a pastor is that many spouses literally think their marriage would be better off if their spouse improved. Look into the mirror once a week and say, I put Jesus Christ on that cross. I deserve hell. It's only the grace of God that I'm even breathing. It's humility to come to your senses. It actually takes humility for someone to come to your senses. Because to come to your senses is admitting, what have I done? This story has been called the, the prodigal son story forever. When Scripture was canonized, uh, later on down the road, they would take segments of Scripture and, and add like sayings to portions of Scripture and it's called the prodigal son. This story is not about the prodigal son. This story, this, this glory cloud that's coming to Bridgeway to help a lot of people, this story is about the most amazing father figure I've ever heard of in my life. There's something that happens when this kid comes to his senses That when you come to your senses and out loud you declare, what have I done? I've never met anyone like this person. The father always immediately moves right towards you. He immediately sent him off to go squander all his wealth. He didn't tell him to leave some back. He immediately lets him go to his own demise. And then he immediately comes to his rescue after the person came to his own senses. It's bravery, it's courage, it's humility, and it's transparency to say, what have I done? When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. By the way, one of the hardest things that will happen to you as you become a spiritual father is when some, someone you love so much, not just your biological children, but people you're raising, when you're watching them watch their own demise... Sometimes we think it's love to try to step in front of them and to keep them from doing that. Sometimes the best thing possible is to let that person go off. Take it from me, this is not prophetic, this is from my mistakes. The day you realize you're not Jesus Christ is a great day. Is Sam downstairs, Ruthie? Um, Yesterday, this is a funny moment... Um, Sam, is, we we live near a golf course, and uh, Sam was playing golf with some buddies. And Sam is my number one disciple. He's the oldest child, and I've invested my life in this guy. And the Holy Spirit's amazing how he does this. I was uh, I was going to the gym to work out, and I was driving down the road, and I looked to my left, and I he was way off, but I saw a teenager with his hat turned around backwards. I thought. There ain't no way, there's no way that was Sam. The other teenager has hat turned on backwards, and they were riding in the golf cart with their feet propped up like they own the place, like their feet propped up way up on the, like way up on the cart, just driving like this. And uh, so I turned it left, and uh, true story, I promise you, I, I part in an apartment complex, in some condominiums. And I got out of the condominiums, and I snuck out, to number four, and there's these two big old bushes, and I got between both of them. <laughs> I, hadn't, I hadn't told any of this. And uh, and here he comes, and he is driving. I mean, it is you know how it is. He's just too cool for everything. He's driving and and just uh, acting like he doesn't act that way around me at all. And so I sat there, and I was like, this is amazing. And uh, I felt like I heard the Holy Spirit on how to handle this. I was a little more coy. So I waited, I watched him hit his shot, and I texted him, and I said, You need to stand up a little taller. I just saw where you hit that ball a little little too far, a little too far right. (laughs) And you see him, like, He said, where are you? And I said, don't worry about it. (laughs) And then I said a couple of words that will keep between me and him. And I said, "Uh, won't you go ahead and turn that hat back around the way it's supposed to be around? He said, yes, sir. And that other teenager immediately put his feet down. There's a way in which God acts towards us, and it's so full of grace, but also so full of challenge. And the more we get raised, we we raise up others in the same way. I did not overreact yesterday, because if I would have overreacted, it actually would have stunted Sam's growth. But I let him know I was there. This father lets him go off to do his own thing, but... There's something about this father in this story that this kid said, I come to my senses, what am I doing? My father's got hired servants. What, what, what am I doing? He, there's something where this kid knew the father was there. He goes running back, and then the epic moment of this whole story, we see what happens here in verse 18. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, there's a, there's a principle here that can really help you. A lot of people sit and wait on the Father to come to them. Isaiah 4031, those who wait upon the Lord. The word wait in Hebrew actually means go. It doesn't mean wait. There's 12 disciples in a boat and it's raining one night really hard. That's understatement. It's storming. And it was Simon Peter that said, Lord, if that's you. And he actually got out of the boat. You will encounter God when you go towards him. You can sit there and wait on him like a waiter in a restaurant. A waiter is actually active. In the God's kingdom, waiting should be active. The father did not come to the pig pen before he started going towards the father. But God's so good, the moment you take one tiny turn and go back towards him, then he'll meet you. But a lot of people have a misconception, and a misconception is very dangerous. We went to see Dunkirk the other night. The whole war is fought over a man's misconception. A lot of people have a misconception, I'm just going to sit here and let God come to me. You shall seek me and you shall find me when you seek me with all of your heart. You know, you may be in here and you may actually be in the middle of an addiction or you may just be in the middle of the biggest apathetic season of your life or you, or you may be in a really, really, really bad place. Here's the good news. The good news is the Father's there. But the challenging news is take a step that way towards him first. Or you're going to be sitting and waiting on him all the days of your life. If some of you have made some terrible financial decisions in your life, the Father's grace is there. But faith and grace work together. Ephesians two eight says, "'It is by grace you're saved through faith.'" Well, the grace is never going to leave, but faith is on my end. The faith in this story is he went towards the father. A lot of people say, well, I'll grow in the prophetic when the father comes and helps me grow in the prophetic. 1 Corinthians fourteen one says eagerly desire prophecy and all the gifts, specifically prophecy, eagerly desire it. If you can go another week without growing in the prophetic, you will, I promise you. I read an article this week about how much reading that Warren Buffett does in a week. Blew my mind. I'm going to talk to the staff about it this coming Tuesday. Uh, some of my friends have made fun of me over the years because I, I, I have a borderline addiction to reading. I'd love to read. And Warren Buffett talks about how him and Bill Gates decided many years ago that natural-born leaders, there's no such thing. Leaders are always readers. Well, I've never had a book open itself to me ever in my life. I've never had a book just float over to me. If you want the kingdom, then go and get it. If you want the Father, then come to your senses and run towards him. A lot of us delay God's grace in our lives because we think, well, I'll get to that soon. Soon is today. Today is the day of salvation. Some of you have been touring around with the idea of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I think today is a good day. You say, well, I'll give my life to Jesus soon. Today's a pretty good day for that. Next verse, uh, and here it is. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. The father has, he has uh, a problem. He's hard of hearing when you speak ignorant words. He doesn't know what you're saying. He's hard of hearing. And this is what he says. So he got up, went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick. I love the word quick. He says, quick. Bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. I want to close with this. You know you're growing with God when... uh, when you mess up and you feel less than, instead of hiding from him, like the old Genesis passage, you just run right to him. And uh, you know how else you know that you're growing with God? When you realize that he's a God that loves to celebrate us even in the midst or right after our biggest mistakes. I don't trust many people anymore that don't have uh, the gift of celebration in their life. Because the closer I get to the king's table, when you get to the king's table, there's one word that's synonymous with deep friendship with God, and that's feasting. The biggest metaphor of the kingdom of God from Genesis to Revelation, I've studied this, is feasting. There's over 50 passages in the New Testament of feasting. God likes to celebrate. A lot of people's view of God in here is when you come back, you'll get to feast in six months after you've gone through your rehab. He will rehab you through joyful celebration and feasting. Tweaking your thinking just a little bit on this will send you soaring above storm clouds. Clouds that used to take you out, you can actually get above them and stay there. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I celebrate with him. Some of you need to go home today, kill a pig, grill it, don't do it for two minutes in a microwave, have a feast, cook three too many vegetables, tell one too many stories at the dinner table, quit taking yourself so seriously, celebrate that he's good, he's nice, he's awesome, he forgives... And the next time you mess up, his character's not going to change. Your spiritual formation is probably going to look like this until you get to heaven. His spiritual formation does not change. The character we see here is the character he'll always have in the middle of this dark, stormy glory cloud. In the middle of this glory cloud of God, there's one huge word right in the middle of it. Love, tenderness, passion. What if the violence that was coming here was a violent love, a violent compassion, a violent tenderness? Father, I pray that Bridgeway would be a place that people would find love and acceptance and forgiveness. Father, I ask that you raise up thousands of people at Bridgeway that destroy the religious spirit through correct paradigms on your character, your personality. If you're in a faraway place this morning and you want me to pray for you, that you would just reconnect with the Father, I'm going to have you stand up right now. That's awesome. Can I have our prayer servants come down? I'm going to pray for you guys, and then we're just going to have prayer service. If you need prayer this morning, you come get prayer. And I just really feel led to say this for those of you who are standing up. He loves you way more than you think. May you accept your own acceptance in the name of Jesus. May you quit listening to the lies that keep you feeling less than. May you know that the same one who was tortured for you and beat for you and died for you still loves you, still prays for you, still believes in you. If your marriage is broken, there is hope. If you're in the middle of an addiction, there is hope. He loves you. He's not going to stop coming. Holy Spirit, I bless this house with tender violence in the spirit, just like Acts 2. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, I ask that between now and November, the end of the year, that you would come so strong upon this house that people would just want to come both services, just to be in a presence and an atmosphere of praise, an atmosphere of celebration. Father, we just love you. Father, we love you. We think you're awesome. We think you're the most awesome person that's ever existed. We love you. We love you. We love you. Father, I just bless each family here. I bless everyone on live stream. I bless anyone listening to this on podcast. We ask for revelation, more of you, Father, that we may know you. Father, we love you. We love you, we give you praise, we give you honor. I bless the marriages in this house. I bless our bodies. Father, I ask that your glory would draw so close that people would get healed here physically and not even know they're sick or not even know they need to be prayed for. We just welcome you to Bridgeway, Father. We welcome you to Bridgeway. And Holy Spirit, I ask you to come. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. If you need prayer this morning, you come up here, we'd love to pray for you. God bless.